Yes, folks, I think the Lakers have told the Houston Rockets, I'm going to knock you out. This series is over. After winning game one and making us believe that this could actually be a series, the Lakers have won three straight. And it will be four straight come Saturday night. As the Los Angeles Lakers have just shown their strength, which is their size, and have shown and displayed that they have two of the best players, not only in this series, but in the NBA period. And with that, we say welcome to Uptempo Sports 24-7 with your host, Coach Pete. And as we talk about these Los Angeles Lakers, folks, let's first talk about the Houston Rockets, because... This whole theory of small ball, which is what they have tried to implement throughout the course of the season. And we told you that maybe during the course of a regular season, you can get away with small ball. But when you get into a series with a team that has as much size as the Lakers does, and then they have two of the best players in the league. It is no way that you are going to be able to win in a a series where you're talking about the best four out of seven. You may get one, possibly even two games, but you're not going to get four against the likes of Anthony Davis and the king himself, LeBron James. And let's just give you a few numbers before we even get into what the Lakers did in regards to the scoring. Let's talk about rebounding. When you have a team that's smaller, you may be a little quicker on the perimeter, but at some point, you're going to get beat up on the boards. And this is what the Lakers displayed in this game, in game number four. Out-rebounded the Houston Rockets by 26. 52 to 26, folks. That turns into what many people will believe is fast break points for you and also it eliminates you being able to get second chance points when you're getting beat up that bad on the boards the Rockets were outscored in the paint 62 to 24 these last two stats that I just provided tells you all you need to know why the Rockets are now one game away from being eliminated in the Western Conference playoffs these two stats alone in the paint, outscored 62 to 24, out-rebounded 52 to 26. That's all you need to know before I give you individual statistics. But speaking of individual statistics, let me talk about James Harden. 2-4-11. You're talking about one of the, if not the, premier score in the NBA. 2-4-11, folks. 21 points. That's all you got from the beard. And we have seen him in the playoffs 
disappear. It looks once again like he's playing a magic act because we can't see him. Russell Westbrook, on the other hand, the last two games has reappeared. Russ hits 25 points, but between the two superstars, they only get 46 points. That's not going to be enough to counter what the Lakers are bringing on the other side. And what they're bringing on the other side is one of the premier forwards in the NBA. That would be Anthony Davis. Yes, I'm listing him as a forward because he does not play the center position for the Lakers. So A.D., let me give you his stat line. 29 points, 12 rebounds, and two blocks. What are you going to do with that if you are the Houston Rockets? Yes, P.J. Tucker has tried to hold his own in this series. We know we've told you how much of a bulldog P.J. Tucker is. When Anthony Davis decides that he wants to be A.D. and come out and be dominant, there's nothing that the Rockets can do to stop him. And this is what he put on display in this game. They had no answers. P.J. Tucker, no. Robert Covington, nada. They even put Westbrook on him and Eric Gordon in certain certain points of the game. Are you kidding me, folks? Mike D'Antoni, great offensive mind. Can't take anything from him. Great offensive mind. But come on, coach. You you know this is not going to work. And this is why you are one game from being sent home out of the bubble. We're not even going to talk about LeBron James. One assist away from another triple-double. LeBron, 16 points, 15 rebounds, 9 assists. Going into this series and they start talking about would Rondo be able to return. You kept hearing people whisper, play off Rondo, play off Rondo. I really wondered, was that such a thing? Because we know with the Celtics, back when they had their big three of KG and Paul Pierce and Ray Allen, and Rondo was the catalyst for that team, he was the, stir, he was the straw that stirred the, the, stirred the, the drink. You just wondered if at this age, 34 years old, if in, in, in his history of the last few years of being hurt, could he actually come to the forefront and make major contributions for the Lakers? Folks, I think we've gotten our answer. Rondo didn't start off in this bubble because of the fact that he had a fractured thumb. We wondered how healthy he would be coming back. And then when he tried to come back initially, he had back spasms. All that is in the rearview mirror now, folks. We are seeing the return of playoff Rondo in the playoffs. Rondo, the game before this, had 21 points. He was the reason why the Lakers were able to take that 2-1 to lead in game number three. We come to game number four, and once again, playoff Rondo makes an appearance. Rondo, 11 points, 10 rebounds, folks. 10 rebounds, it's coming from your point guard, and eight assists. If the Lakers get this production from Rondo, and then they get the production that they received off the bench from someone like a Alice Caruso, who dropped 16 points. You're going to see a matchup for the ages between the Lakers and the Clippers. Because if the Lakers get these performances from their two superstars, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and then you have the reemergence of playoff Rondo, 
And then you get Alice Caruso off the bench, Markeith Morris, and Cal Kuzman off the bench. We even got a Danny Green sighting in this game. Danny Green hit um, two threes in this ballgame, folks. His jump shot had been on MIA. But if you get this performance from the role players and you know your superstars are going to come to the table, folks, the Lakers may be where they need to be to try to get to the NBA Finals. But we're not gonna we're not gonna jump that far ahead because this series still has an, another game or two before we can even start talking about even the Western Conference Finals. But just want to lay out the format for you in regards to what the Rockets are up against going into a game number five closeout game for the Lakers. When LeBron James is leading a series three games to one. There's no coming back, folks. He's undefeated. Between when he was in Miami and then when he was in Cleveland. When he's leading a series three games to one, there's no there's no coming back. So I'm expecting James Harden and the Rockets to try to make an effort tonight. But in regards to winning this game, folks, I... You can basically say, leave, 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 leave. That's all, folks. As uh, I think the Lakers are going to put their foot on the throat of the Rockets and send them packing. Now, I find something to be quite humorous in regards to this Houston Rockets team. If you all haven't heard the story, Daniel House, one of their role players, either their sixth or seventh man coming off the bench, was sent home by the NBA because of an infraction that infraction was was that in the bubble they have started to allow friends and family of players and coaches to be able to come in Daniel House took it upon himself to invite one of the young ladies who was working as a COVID tester to his room we already know how this story is going to end So I don't need to go into further detail. But the thing that I find humorous about this story is, is that you have pundits that come out and say somebody like a Skip Bayless, who's already this week has not been the best week of his career. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Come out talking about how important Daniel House is for the Houston Rockets. And that's why they are now down three games to one. Last time I checked, Daniel House was the seventh man coming off the bench. Not the sixth man, not a starter. He's averaging 10 to 11 points coming off the bench. They're getting that much production from Jeff Green, who has been a catalyst for Houston in the playoffs. You're, you're making it seem like that Daniel House was the reemergence of Vinny the Microwave Johnson. Or Lou Williams for the Clippers. He's averaging 10 to 11 points, folks. Yes, 10 to 11 points is important when you're playing against a team like the Lakers. But it, it it's not the difference between why Houston is down three games to one or could possibly be tied in this series. Nowhere near that. So for people to make it seem like that Daniel House being sent home 
and not being a part of this Rockets team right now is the reason why they lost not only this game, but why they could be out of this series is absolutely insane. Role players are important, but if a role player is the reason why you win or lose a series, then you are already going to lose a series anyway. If you're telling me that James Harden or Russell Westbrook are not going to play for some unforeseen reason, then I understand. But when you're telling me that the seventh man on your bench is the reason why you're losing a series, you are already going to lose a series anyway, folks. So let's not, let's not fool ourselves into thinking that Daniel House absence is more important than it really is. Could they use his scoring? Yeah. Because again, like I said, it is 10 points. But at the end of the day, he is not the reason why they're going to win or lose this series. I gave you the stats why they lost this game. The Lakers dominated from the beginning to the end. Now, the Houston tried to make it a little interesting towards the end of the game. They cut the lead down to seven at one point. Another, and then in the closing few seconds they actually cut it to five what I tell you about the Lakers getting point production off their bench it was 105 100 Alice Caruso got a pass from LeBron James corner three we've told you about the shooting struggles for the Lakers especially for their role players Alice Caruso we gave you his stat line 16 points in this game couple of major steals he had a nice block in this game as well. But that three, that the fact that LeBron trusted him in that moment goes to tell you where the Lakers are right now, folks. They are all in and locked in. That's why I say I don't believe there's any chance that Houston has of winning this game tonight. I just don't. Because when LeBron trusts Alex Caruso to take a shot in that moment, when the shot clock is running down, and they're only up five. And Houston's trying to make a comeback. That tells you all you need to know right there about where the Lakers are. So we move off the Lakers and we get into the series between the Denver and the L.A. Clippers. The L.A. Clippers up three games to one. We are believing that this is going to be over. Not so fast, my friends. The Denver Nuggets find a way to stay alive and avoid elimination. And we will have a game six on Sunday evening. As I told you in our last podcast, that in order for Denver to be able to win in this series, they were going to have to get more more point production from others not named Jamal Murray or Jurkic. The Joker. They got that in this game. We saw a reemergence of Paul Millsap. 17 points. Took over in the fourth quarter. Jamal Murray actually looked like Jamal Murray in spots in this game as he was able to shake loose from the defenders of the Clippers and he gave us 26 points. The J- Pardon me, folks. The Joker does what the Joker does. 22 points, 14 rebounds. Michael Porter Jr., he only had seven points in this game. But of those seven, he hit a big bucket, a big three 
towards the end of this game to put the Nuggets up four. And then at the end, he hit two free throws. And that's what closed out this game as the Nuggets come back from 15 points down and surprise the Clippers and win 111 to 105 to force a game six. The Clippers, I think, got comfortable. Part of the reason why the Clippers, although they were up 15, part of the reason why they lost this game is that they got 62 points from two players. A combination of 62 points from two players and their two superstars, Kawhi Leonard, who has been a monster in the playoffs, and PG, Paul George, after having a horrible game number four, he bounces back in this game with 26 points. But that was it. Nobody else gave him anything. And so if you want to win in the playoffs, your role players and your stars have to step up. They have to align themselves in order for you to be able to win. Unless one of your stars just goes off. And Kawhi Leonard, folks, he's only really had one bad game in this playoff series. But you can't ask him to do more than what he's doing. He's guarding the best player for Denver, which is Jamal Murray. Then you're asking him to score, which he did, 36 points. But he needs consistency from his teammates in order for them to be as successful as they want to be to get where they want to go, which is to the Western Conference Finals. And then hopefully to the finals. But you can't just get dominant performance from him and then... Paul George drops in 26 and you get nothing on the back end. They're not going to be able to win. Now, do I think that they're going to be in trouble against against Denver? No. I think the Clippers are still going to win this series. I think they'll close them out Sunday night. But what I'm saying is, is that we just told you about what's going on with the Lakers. And we do expect the Clippers to win this series. And we know that When the Clippers and the Lakers meet, we know that it's going to be a whole different animal between both those teams, that they both will rise up to the level of competition that they're playing against. But if you want to see consistency from this team, the Clippers, which we have not seen all year long, you need to see it right now. Because I'm telling you, if the Lakers stay focused and locked in the way they have the last two games, I know that the Clippers, talent-wise and depth-wise, are deeper than the Lakers. But the Lakers, again, folks, have the two best players in the playoffs. And if they get the contributions that they're getting, I don't care what the Clippers have. They're not going to beat the Lakers. Point blank and simple. You heard it here. I'm telling you right now. If the Lakers get the contributions that they've been getting from their role players— and LeBron and AD continue on this path of what they've been playing, how they've been playing and dominating on both ends, the Clippers are not going to beat the Lakers. Because I'm telling you right now, Paul George is going to give you one or two games where he's not available. He's going to disappear on you. I'm telling you that right now. As good as Paul George is, he is going to give you at least one or two dud games in the Western Conference Finals. And if he does that, I don't care how great Kawhi plays. The Lakers, if they get what they've been getting the last three games, 
they will beat the Clippers. I'm telling you that right now. They will beat the Clippers because LeBron James is like a shark. Blood in the water, he is going to be in attack mode, and he knows that this is the best opportunity for him to capture another title. He is going to seize the moment, folks. That is the heart, and that is the grit of a true champion when they take advantage of an opportunity. And I think LeBron knows that this is the greatest opportunity that he has to try to get another title. And if that opportunity is there for for the taking, he is going to take it and run away with it. So the Clippers better get their mojo back in game number six and put Denver away because the Lakers are going to put their foot on the throat of the Houston Rockets tonight. And they're going to have a few days in between where they can be rested. And that's all you need for LeBron and AD, that you have two hunters now being able to rest and wait on their next foe. We're going to leave the Western Conference playoffs and we're going to jump into the Eastern Conference. And then there was one. As the Boston Celtics and the Toronto Raptors, folks, probably one of the best series throughout the playoffs, other than early in the first round between the Jazz and the Nuggets, this Toronto-Boston series, we didn't even think we would be talking about a game seven. Because we thought that Boston was going to be able to, if they didn't sweep them, at least beat them four games to one. But to the Toronto Raptors, they got the one game that they needed in game number three. And they just fought and clawed and climbed their way to a game seven. And they had chances in this game seven to pull it out. But folks, this Boston Celtics team played like the heart of a champion. Toronto, the defending NBA champions, definitely played like champions. And champions go down swinging. And that's what they did. But unfortunately, there's a guy on Boston that Toronto wishes they had. And his name is Jason Tatum. Folks, Jason Tatum has grown up in the last two years, but in this playoff series, he has definitely made himself the alpha. He is the superstar on the horizon for the Boston Celtics. Jason Tatum in takeover mode in the last few minutes of this game as it was tight going down the stretch. Jason Tatum was not going to let Boston go home. He was not going to have them go fishing. And Jason Tatum got probably the biggest rebound of this series in the closing seconds as Boston was at the line for two free throws that could have put them up by five. And the two free throws were missed. But Jason Tatum got the key rebound and he hit one of two free throws to put them up four. And that's all she wrote. And then they got one out of two free throws from Kimball Walker at the very end 
and the margin of victory for the Celtics was five as the Boston Celtics outlast the Toronto Raptors, 92-87. Jason Tatum, 29 points, 12 rebounds, 7 assists. His running mate, Jalen Brown, 21 points. Kimball Walker, I gave you misinformation about what Kimba scored in the last game against Toronto in game number six. I said Kimba had 11 and he was going to need to hit at least 20 or 25 points in this game seven if Boston was going to have a chance to win. In the last game, folks, Kimba only hit five. Now, he had 14 points in this game. And I thought that he would have needed at least 20 to 25 for Boston to win. As they say, it's not when you hit a shot. It's the moment in which that shot comes about that matters. And that's what happened with Kimber because he hit two big shots towards the end to help solidify the lead for Boston. And then I told you in the closing seconds, he hit a free throw that put them up five that shut the door on Toronto's chances. Kimball Walker, folks, is still the leader of this team. Jason Tatum is the budding superstar, though, of this team. They will go as far as Jason Tatum will take them. That is, you can just mark that down in the books. As good as Kimball Walker is, as good as Jalen Brown is, they will go only as far as Jason Tatum can carry them. And I'm going to tell you another player who, to me, was the most valuable player. If you had to give a most valuable player award to a player in this playoff series, I would have to give that award to Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart, folks, has been the X factor for the Boston Celtics. When they've needed big, crucial plays... It has been Marcus Smart making those plays. We've gotten scoring from Jason Tatum. We've gotten rebounding from Jason Tatum. But Marcus Smart has done the dirty work. He's the one who has been diving on the floors for loose balls. He's the one that has set himself up to take charges against the likes of um, Mr. Siakam and guarding Serge Ibaka. He's had the tough assignments. In this game, he was guarding Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Fleet. Heart of a champion, folks. Marcus Smart, 16 points, three steals, and a crucial block. Crucial block in this game. Boston came down on a chance on a fast break, missed a shot. Toronto took it the other way. They had an opportunity to take the lead because the Celtics were up one. Marcus Smart got a block on a shot by Fred Van Fleet. That turned into a transition basket for the Boston Celtics and put them up three, and it never got any closer than that. 
Mark is smart, folks. He is the gritty bulldog for the Boston Celtics. And he is the reason why, along with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Kimber Walker, why the Boston Celtics are going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals facing the Miami Heat, which I think is going to be a very good series because both of these teams put their laurels on their defense. Both of these teams, that's their stamp, is their defense. We can't take anything away from the Toronto Raptors in this series, though, folks. They play with the heart of a champion. Kyle Lowry, not one of his best shooting nights, ended up with 16 points and fouled out at the end. Fred Van Fleet, who has been, to me, the catalyst for the Toronto Raptors, 20 points in this game. Mr. Siakam, disappointing playoff series. 13 points tonight, 11 rebounds. Serge Ibaka had 14 points. But when you're an all-star and you're expected to try to help carry your team, you can't just hit 13 points, not in a game seven. And we're not saying that Siakam should be Kawhi Leonard, but there's another level he's going to have to get to if he is going to be the go-to guy for Toronto some aspects of his game and he's still young and some aspects of his game that he's going to have to work on in order to get to the next level but Toronto has nothing to be ashamed about folks because we didn't think this series would even be where we are right now but once again that shows you the heart of a champion and shows you why Kyle Lowry is the straw that stirs the drink in Toronto because as they go as he goes this team goes and his toughness his grit is why we even had a game seven to begin with because of Kyle Lowry but Toronto will be packing their bags and going back north as now we have gotten one side of the playoffs figured out and so the Eastern Conference will have Not a top seed. There are no top seeds left in this playoffs in the Eastern Conference. So Miami was the fifth seed. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Boston may have been the third seed. But at the end of the day, we get the two best teams playing for an opportunity to get to the NBA Finals. So I think that this series will be just as good as the series prior. And then we're just waiting for the two teams that are going to represent the Western Conference in the Finals. Can't ask for more than what you've gotten in these playoffs, folks, in the bubble. Can't ask for any better play than you've had from these players inside this bubble. So... We're going to uh, take a small commercial break and decompress from all the excitement of the NBA playoffs. And then we're going to have to uh, get our engine started back up again because football has returned. And on Thursday night, we saw the coronation of a team 
they could possibly make another run for a Super Bowl. We'll let you know who that team is. This is Uptempo Sports 24-7. We appreciate you tuning in, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Uptempo Sports, folks, with your host, Coach P. I think this song says all we need to know about Thursday night. The champ is here. The Kansas City Chiefs have arrived to open up the 2020 NFL season. And it was as if they never left, folks. The train never left the tracks as they look like a well-oiled locomotive against the Houston Texans. Patrick Mahomes, scary in this game. Why was he scary? He was 24 for 32. That's efficiency. 211 yards, three touchdowns. He actually should have had maybe four touchdown passes, possibly even five. He had two that were dropped. So you're talking about on a night when He didn't even throw for 300 yards. He still had three touchdowns, and he only missed eight pass pass attempts. He only missed eight pass completions. I'm sorry. He only missed eight pass completions. 24 for 32, folks. And the score does not indicate how dominant Kansas City was. 34 to 20 makes you believe that maybe it was a competitive game and that Kansas City pulled away at the end. No, that's not the case, folks. They should have been up 7-0 early, but we talked about the fact that they had a drop touchdown by Mr. Robinson. Then the Texans scored. David Johnson, who had 77 yards on the night in his Houston debut, scored the first touchdown for the Texans. And after that, it was a runaway freight train as... Kansas City scored 34 unanswered points. If I'm not mistaken, I think they only punted three times during the course of the evening. Folks, this is scary. I know it's game one. This is scary, though. So then we have to ask ourselves, is Kansas City just that good or are the Texans just that bad? Let me give you a perspective on that. I think it's a combination of both. I think that the Texans are going to be a bad team, folks. You saw that Deshaun Watson was running for his life in this game. He was sacked four times. But Chris Jones was causing havoc in the backfield. At some point, you maybe thought he was a part of the Texans offense because he stayed in the backfield so many times. But he was just that much of a disruptive force. And we're not talking about a Kansas City Chiefs defense that's super dominant. We're just talking about one player who has that potential. But if this is what it's going to look like, and we know that there were no preseason games, we know that there was not a lot of hitting going on in these NFL camps. But what I'm saying to you folks is, is that 
if it looked this bad in regards to what Deshaun is facing, it's going to only get worse as the season progresses. And the one thing that we went into this game worried about came to fruition for Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans. Although David Johnson looked good in this game, told you he had 77 yards rushing and a touchdown, it's obvious to me and it's going to be obvious to those who watch football that they are going to miss the talents of their all-pro wide receiver, DeAndre Hopkins. Will Fuller, Randall Cobb. I don't even know if Randall Cobb played. I didn't even hear his name mentioned on Thursday night. Kenny Steels. We saw a Brandon Cook sighting. But folks, these receivers were not getting open. And I don't know if that was a combination of the fact that Deshaun didn't have enough time to get the ball downfield to his speedy receivers, or they just couldn't get separation against this Kansas City defense. But whatever this, whatever it is, clearly they missed the likes of DeAndre Hopkins. And Deshaun is going to have to be that magician all season long for this offense if they're going to be able to win football games this year. He is going to have to put on that Superman cape and carry them once again. Because it doesn't appear to me that getting rid of DeAndre Hopkins was a solution to this Houston's offense. Where, where did they go? You're, you're saying to yourself, maybe the only thing they can do, they can't be any worse is what you're saying to yourself, I'm sure, if you're a Houston Texans fan. But what I'm saying to you, Houston Texans fans, is that your primary go-to guy no longer resides in Houston. He's in the desert in Arizona. And your quarterback, who has been a magician, who has tried to put this franchise on his back since the day he took over as a starting quarterback, is going to be under siege, I believe, all year long. So you all are going to have to figure it out. And if not, I believe that by midseason, I'm saying maybe by week five, maybe week six, if the Texans still look this bad, I believe you may see two people get fired. That one of those people being the coach, Bill O'Brien, and then the other person getting fired would be the general manager. Oh, that'd be Bill O'Brien as well. So, yeah, Bill O'Brien, you may get fired from both your jobs on your day off if this team does not turn around. Because, again, we saw night and day performances from two, two teams. Kansas City looks like they are ready for, mid, they're in midseason form. The one thing I will say, it was not a lot of penalties in this game. And for this to be the first game, that's shocking. We had 17,000 fans in the stands at this game. It felt like NFL football. It looked like NFL football. So I'm glad to have NFL football back. And I think we're all going to be ready on Sunday with our remote controls and our favorite snack to take in NFL football. 
The one thing that I was disappointed in and what I still don't understand is why are people not understanding why these players and and people are out in the streets protesting? You had the players for the Houston Texans to stay in the locker room for both the anthems. And then you had the teams come to the middle of the field in solidarity. And you had the fans booing. I don't know if fans are just tired of dealing with these political issues. Fans are just tired of dealing with real life issues. But whatever it is, it was ignorance on the on the behalf of the fans for them to be booing these players. These players are showing you that sports is the one climate that we can have that produces unity. It's the one climate that we have where people don't look at each other and decide, I don't like you because of the color of your skin. That's why sports is so important to us. That's why we gravitate to sports because we don't have sports and sports and we look at sports as as a real life situation from the standpoint we're not judging people based on the color of their skin or what background they come from sports is judged off your ability to be able to play that particular sport and although people may be tired and I don't know why people would be tired of seeing people being socially disrespected of seeing people being unjustly treated seeing people being murdered before your eyes I don't know why people would be tired of that and not wanting there to be a change but for you all to be booing these players as they're trying to bring awareness to a society that needs awareness is absolutely asinine and ignorant. So those people who were in the stands at this game for the first night of NFL football, which again was spectacular, you all should be ashamed of yourselves. You really should. You should be ashamed of yourselves. And this is the reason why this country cannot progress to get these issues resolved is because of the fact that you still have so many ignorant people who don't want to listen to the cries and pleas of not just black people, but white people and people of all races that are trying to tell you that there needs to be a better place for all of us to coexist. There needs to be a better opportunity for all of us to be able to coexist in. That's why we can't get to a point of stopping this because we have to keep preaching this message so that the people that are ignorant that want to tune us out can understand that this is not going away. That it's only going to be uplifted more and we're going to only press forward more because we see that you're not getting the message. So we're going to continue to hammer this message not just the NFL players, but the people who are walking in protest 
they're going to keep hammering this message until, as Dr. Martin Luther King said, we shall overcome. So I commend the players for their stance. I commend them for doing the things that they've been doing, not only in not only in sports, but every person who has taken up a stance against what's been going on in our society, in our country. I salute them. And it's unfortunate that when we're getting all our sports back, that I have to again talk about a social issue. But folks, this is what we're going to talk about and this is what we're going to keep continuing to talk about until we see change across the board. So that's why my message is going to be clear. Every time I'm, I have an opportunity on my platform as a podcaster, I'm going, if I have, have to keep talking about this on every episode, then I will until those who keep wearing the blinders take their blinders off. Those who keep putting the earplugs in their ear take the earplugs out to hear that this message is not going to go away until we see change and change in a form that is not clouded by the death of another person or change that takes place before someone else has to have their life sacrificed. We're going to take another small break, folks, and then we're going to come back and we're going to give you our picks for week one in the NFL. Once again, you're listening to Uptempo Sports 24-7. We'll be right back. That's right, folks. It's that time. It's that place. Welcome back to Uptempo Sports, and we're going to dive into Coach P's Pick'em, where each week I'll give you my picks for the week of who I think will be successful for the NFL. But before we do Coach P's Pick'em, I have to go back to Kansas City and talk about rookie sensation Clyde Edwards-Hilera, the number one pick for Kansas City this year. In the first round at number 32, the running back from LSU on the biggest stage, 25 carries, 138 yards, and one touchdown. That's what I'm saying, folks. Kansas City, it's not fair. The rich get richer as the young running back takes the place of Damian Williams, who decided to opt out this year due to covid And it looks like that that locomotive, that freight train called the Kansas City offense is not going to skip a beat if this is how Clyde Edwards-Hilera is going to perform. That's all I can say, folks. We're going to get to that sector of the weekend that we call Coach P's Pick'em. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a list of the teams that are playing each week I'm not going to give you the spread I'm just going to give you straight up picks and so with that let's dive into week one of the NFL and so on Sunday we start off with 
Seattle and Russell Wilson going down to Matty Ice and the Atlanta Falcons. Initially, I was going to roll with Russell Wilson because Russ is just a beast. But then I started doing some research and saw that Atlanta and Dan Quinn, who used to be the defensive coordinator under Pete Curl in Seattle, is 5-2 and two against his mentor. I'm going to take Atlanta at home. They added Todd Gurley in the backfield. You know they got that monster on the outside, Julio Jones, and his running mate, and his running mate, one, one Calvin Ridley. So I'm going to roll with the Atlanta Falcons. We come back and we go up to Buffalo where the Buffalo Bills now will present us with an offense led by all-pro wide receiver Stephon Diggs, who they got in a trade from the Minnesota Vikings. They will now play against their cross-town rivals, the New York Jets. The Jets are in disarray. They lost Jamal Adams in a trade that sent him to Seattle. Their offense is leaking. They're hoping that Le'Veon Bell is going to give them something this upcoming season. I don't see it, folks. I think Adam Gates will be fired by the middle of the season. That's a story for another day. I like Buffalo and Josh Allen to get win number one and week number one. We go up to the Motor City and go to Detroit, where the Detroit Lions will host their conference rivals, the Chicago Bears. Chicago will be bringing to town one Mitchell Trubisky, who we thought would be unseated as a starting quarterback, only to find out that management was too scared to make a change. And so they're going to ride this coattail of Mitchell Trubisky through this season. Detroit, the return of Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford, starting quarterback who started out pretty hot last year for Detroit until he got hurt with that back. They're hoping that they're going to be able to stay stay healthy with Matthew Stafford. And they're hoping that the addition of veteran running back Adrian Peterson can bring something to that set of young running backs, Keon Johnson, Kerryon Johnson, I should say, and DeAndre Swift, the young running back that they drafted this past draft from Georgia, hoping that Adrian Peterson has a little bit of gas left in the tank and that he can mentor those young running backs. I'm going to go with Detroit at home and the return of Matthew Stafford to get a win in week number one. We have another division rivalry in that same division, and that would be Green Bay at Minnesota. Aaron Rodgers, folks. Is this the last year for Aaron Rodgers in a Green Bay Packer uniform? Some speculate. But we know that Jordan Love, the so-called heir apparent, is not even going to be Aaron's backup right now. So, can Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, and Devontae Adams, can they get the job done in Minnesota? Minnesota, we just talked to you about Buffalo having Stephon Diggs now. Who's going to step up and take the place of the production of Stephon Diggs? Spotlight now goes on his running mate for the last few years, Adam Thielen. That defense should still be pretty nasty. They're going to be out without the services of their all-pro defensive end, Daniel Hunter, who I think they're going to end up putting on IR for three weeks. But I still like Minnesota in his first game at home. If they're ever going to get Green Bay, they better get them while they're at home. We know there won't be any fans in the stands, but I'm going to still ride out with Minnesota at home in week one. Then we go to New England and the new era 
in the history of New England. Now that TB12, Tom Brady, has taken his talents down to Tampa Bay. And in comes Cam. That's right, folks. Cam Newton will make his home appearance in New England as the New England Patriots will take on their division rival, Miami Dolphins. Remember last year, it was Miami and um, Fitzmagic that derailed New England from possibly trying to get home field advantage when they beat them the last game of the year. Will they start New England's new season in 2020 off on the same route by making them go 0-1? Will they make Cam Newton's home home debut a offer? I'm going to roll with Bill Belichick here. They have something to prove. Cam has something to prove. So I'm going to roll with New England and Cam to get victory number one at home in week one against the Miami Dolphins. Then we come down to I-95 where the new Washington football team. That's right, folks. The name has been changed. Some of the faces have been changed. We wonder if their game will still be the same. We're going to find out real soon as the Washington football team will host their division rivals, the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles come into this game with a lot of injuries. We know their offensive line is in disarray. It sounds like some of the receivers they were counting on may not be available, but this Washington team has a young quarterback starting in Dwayne Haskins. They no longer have the services of one Adrian Peterson, who they cut. So it's going to be interesting to see what this Washington franchise looks like. I believe the defense will be on point. The number two pick in the draft this past draft, Chase Young from Ohio State, that monster. He should be a beast in that defensive line. I'm just not sure what kind of offensive production we're going to see. But I'm going to roll with the Eagles in week one to beat this Washington football team. Then we go down to Carolina where the Carolina Panthers are starting a new quarterback. They have a new regime coming in with Matt Rule from Baylor and a new quarterback at the trigger helm. That will be one Teddy Bridgewater. They will be facing the Las Vegas Raiders. So the Raiders are on the road for week one. I'm going with Carolina and Teddy Bridgewater. I like Teddy. And of course, you know, they have that man, that guy in Carolina, one Christian McCaffrey, the do the the, the do all can't can't miss all running back, wide receiver, wherever you want to put him at, he's going to get the job done. I don't think the Raiders can stop him. I don't know what Derek Carr is going to bring to the table for the Raiders. I'm going with Carolina out the gate at home to get victory number one. Then we go down to Jacksonville, where the Jacksonville Jaguars look like an expansion team all over again. They've gotten rid of all their talent. Jalen Ramsey gone. A.J. Boye gone. Calais Campbell gone. Leonard Fournette gone. Who's left? We have nobody that we can call on. Oh, I'm sorry. Gardner Minshew. Let's see how that works out for the Jacksonville Jaguars. As they host the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts, now led by seasoned veteran Phillip Rivers, trying to get his career back on track. Meaning that last year, we thought that was the end of Phillip Rivers. He looked like an old quarterback last year. Can he be rejuvenated 
with head coach Frank Reich in that system that he played in where Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator with the Chargers. We're going to see. He's got a better offensive line. He's got a pretty good running game. And we're just going to see. And they have a nice young defense. So I look for the Colts to win. I think Jacksonville is tanking for the services of um, Trevor Lawrence, quarterback from Clemson. So I don't expect Jacksonville to give us much. I like the Colts in this game. Then we go to Baltimore. The Baltimore Ravens hosting their division rival Cleveland Browns. Before you say, is this going to be even a even matchup? Folks, we already know the offensive weapons that Cleveland possesses. We know Baker Mayfield is trying to be on a comeback trail. We know Odell Beckham is out to prove that last year was a fluke and that he's still that guy. But also remember, when Cleveland came to town against Baltimore last year, they thumped Baltimore. They gutted Baltimore. Nick Chubb exploded for about an 82 or 85-yard run and had over 100 yards rushing against this Baltimore defense. We know Baltimore's secondary is outstanding, even without the services of Earl Thomas, who they released early in camp. Can they stop the running game? Can Lamar and Hollywood Brown hook up and extend that passing game? We know Baltimore is going to run. We know Lamar, the former MVP, is going to go out here and be a beast. We just want to know, can Baltimore stop the run? I like Baltimore at home in week one. I think Lamar's got a lot to prove. He is dis- was disappointed at the end of last year in the way that the offense performed against Tennessee in the playoffs and that shocker that saw them get eliminated early. I think Baltimore's on a mission. This is also a division game, so I don't expect it to be a blowout. I think Cleveland's also on a mission as well. Miles Garrett should be motivated. Remember, he missed the last six games of the season last year due to that um, fight when they played against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I know he's going to be itchy to ready to play, but I like the Ravens in this game. We go to Cincinnati, where the new-look Cincinnati Bengals, led by number one pick Joe Burrow, will host the L.A. Chargers, who are now being led by Tyrod Taylor. As we just told you, Phillip Rivers is now in Indianapolis and Tyrod Taylor is now the starting quarterback. Can the Chargers, without the services of Phillip Rivers and Melvin Gordon, who could not get a contract extension and so he left to go to the Denver Broncos, can the Chargers' new-look offense have enough to beat the Cincinnati Bengals? The Chargers' defense should be stout even without all-pro safety Derwin James. Cincinnati, we just told you, will be starting a rookie quarterback. They will also get the services of their all-pro wide receiver, A.J. Greenback. They will get the services of their alternate Pro Bowl running back, um, Joe Mixon, who just signed a contract extension. So he's going to be super motivated. I think Cincinnati's offense will not be the problem this year, folks. I think it's going to be their defense. But I think it's going to take some time for the offense to get acclimated. And so in this week one game, I like the Chargers. We leave Cincinnati and we go down to probably, which will be one of the best games of week one. We go down to the Bayou, New Orleans Saints versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Let's say that again. The new Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Tom Brady TB12 led Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's right, folks. Tampa Bay now will have the services of the GOAT, one Tom Brady at the helm against the future Hall of Famer himself, 
Drew Brees. New Orleans, one of the teams that many people think will be in the Super Bowl in Tampa this year. Well, they'll have their first opportunity to show who is going to be the front runner in this division. New Orleans revamped their defense. They revamped their offense. They got the services of Emmanuel Sanders to go on the opposite side of that monster, Michael Thomas. We're still hearing that Alvin Kamara is in the process of signing a new contract, but they have him back. Hopefully he'll be healthy. Tampa Bay led by Tom Brady will maybe without the services of one Mike Evans. They'll still have Mr. Godwin. They'll have new tight end, old friend for Tom Brady, Gronk. Rob Gronkowski makes his return back to the NFL. They also will have the services of one Leonard Fournette, who they picked up off the waiver wire once Jacksonville released him. This should be a really good game because Tampa is now trying to stir all those ingredients and get them to mix together. I'm going to go with New Orleans out to shoot to win at home. Remember, these games will be without fans, so New Orleans won't have that home field advantage that they usually have in the Superdome. But I'm still going to take the Saints because of the fact that they have more cohesiveness coming out the gate. So I like the Saints this week. Then we go to San Francisco. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying I'm not sure if this game is even going to be played. For those of you who have not been following the news, there are massive wildfires going on in the state of California. The air quality is really, really bad. It is on high alert right now. So I'm not even sure if this game is going to be played. So keep that in mind. But if it is played, San Francisco is hosting the Arizona Cardinals. Arizona much improved. They now have the services of all pro wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins, who they got in a trade with the Houston Texans. He just got a new contract, which makes him the highest paid receiver in NFL history. I think D Hop is going to be super motivated. Uh, the 49ers coming off of a heartbreaking loss in the Super Bowl to the Kansas City Chiefs are looking to try to get back into the winner's circle to be that team they can repeat to get back to the Super Bowl. Jimmy Garoppolo wants to prove to his coach Kyle Shanahan that he can be trusted with the ball in his hands in the last minutes of a game. Right now, the receiving core looks a little bit shaky because they have injuries. Remember, Emmanuel Sanders is now in New Orleans, and his replacement, Debo Samuel, will not play in this game due to a foot injury. I'm still going to roll with San Francisco if this game is played because of that defense. That defense has been what their calling card was last year, and I think it will be the same thing this year, and they'll just wait on the offense. We know they can run the ball, and we know that the defense travels. So that's what I'm looking at. If San Francisco and Arizona play this game this week, I'm going to roll with the 49ers. And then we have the Sunday night special, folks, from SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles, California. The L.A. Rams will host the Dallas Cowboys, the new-look Dallas Cowboys from the perspective of they have a new man in the driver's seat one Mike McCarthy. Can Mike McCarthy give Dallas what they have lacked the last two years when they were under the leadership of Jason Garrett? And that is someone who can get them beyond the first round of the playoffs, someone who can get them to the playoffs, and someone who could possibly get them back to a Super Bowl. 
That's what Jerry Jones is hoping when he made this hire. That's what I'm hoping as a Cowboy fan that the years of mediocrity are over. The years of eight and eight are over and that we can finally ascend to the top and that we can get back to hosting or hoisting the the Lombardi Trophy. Dallas on the road to the Rams. I like the way that the defense is going to be on paper. They did a lot of changes in the offseason. They went out and signed Everson Griffin. We know that he is a Pro Bowl type of defensive end. I've heard that Alden Smith has been a monster in camp. So you're going to see the return of Alden Smith, who has been out of football for years now. Should be a motivated to Marcus Lawrence. We have um, Mr. Gregory that we got back, but he will not be available to week six. But they have some young defensive players they're counting on. The secondary is my Achilles heel right now for this team. We don't know what we're going to get from Trayvon Diggs. Sounds like he's going to be one of the starting cornerbacks. Jordan Lewis is going to be out this game. And the safety position, everyone thought that they were going to go out and sign Earl Thomas. That is yet to be seen. And so it's going to be interesting to see what this secondary looks like, folks. But offensively, you're going to have a motivated number 21, Ezekiel Elliott, a motivated number four, Dak Prescott. Although he didn't get the long-term deal that he sought, he did get the franchise tag, and he's due to make almost $32 million. Um, that's nothing to sneeze at, folks. But I know that he's looking for that deal that Deshaun Watson just received. So I know that Dak is going to be ready to rock and roll. And then the receivers, we're hoping that Amari Cooper is going to be healthy enough to play in this game. He's going to be going up against Jalen Ramsey, one of the top corners in the league who just got super paid. But he has some help on the outside in Dallas, folks. He already had Michael Gallup, who is turning into a definite number two wide receiver threat. And now they get the services of the young rookie who has been sensational in camp. And that would be one C.D. Lamb. I'm excited to see what the new number 88 has in store for us. I like my Cowboys in week one. The Rams have that monster, that defensive player of the year, Aaron Donald, on the front line. I'm not sure what the running game is going to look like for the Rams with Cam Akers, the young rookie from Florida State, now toting the rock. That Todd Gurley has been shipped off to Atlanta. I know that they have veteran wide receivers in Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, but and I know Dallas' secondary will be tested. But I recall last year when Dallas was slumping, the Rams came to Dallas, and we thumped the Rams with Jared Goff, with Todd Gurley, with Robert Woods, with Aaron Donald, all, all these people that they say are going to be available on Sunday and that we probably will lose to Sean McVay. I don't see it. Maybe I'm a little biased. But that's okay. I'm taking the Cowboys in week number one. Then we go to the Monday night double hitter. As we always have a double hitter on Monday night. And the first game of the double hitter will feature the Pittsburgh Steelers with the return of their future Hall of Fame quarterback, one Ben Roslisberger, back at the helm against the New York Giants. The Giants with a new head coach. And Coach Judge from New England, a new offensive coordinator in Jason Garrett. Um, you tell me how that works out for them. 
and hopefully a healthy Saquon Barkley in the backfield and second-year quarterback Daniel Jones at the helm. Pittsburgh, hoping that they can keep Ben healthy this year because we saw what happens when Ben is out. It was horrible offensively. Pittsburgh, with that defense, should be able to dominate this Giants team. I know that it's going to be um, interesting to see exactly how Juju Smith-Schuster looks with the return of Big Ben. He had a really down year last year. Um, Pittsburgh's defense, led by T.J. Watt and Cam Hayward on that pass rush. Remember, they led the NFL in sacks last year. And then when they got Micah Fitzpatrick, that defense turned into a straight juggernaut last year. So I'm looking for the Steelers' defense to be overwhelming in this game against this young Giants offense and this first-year coach and Coach Judge. I like the Steelers week one. And then the nightcapper. We have the Tennessee Titans going to mile high against the Denver Broncos. And when you talk about home field advantages, folks, this is where you're talking about the fans being missed, especially in mile high stadium where the Broncos usually have definitely one of the best fan bases in the NFL. Well, they won't have the fans in the stands on Monday night and they won't have the services of all pro future Hall of Fame linebacker slash defensive end Von Miller who is going to probably miss the entire season due to a freak ankle injury the last practice um, at the end of the last practice that they had before they were getting ready to uh, shut it down to prepare for the season and his running mate Bradley Chubb who got hurt last year towards ACL we're not sure if he's going to be healthy enough to start the season so, and then we just got a report that their big stud wide receiver, Mr. Sutton, on the outside, Cortland Sutton, is actually not going to be, he's going to be um, kept out of this game as well because of an injury that occurred in a practice session as well. So, Denver's got a lot of question marks. Their offensive line is going to be a little bit in disarray. Um, so, we're going to look and think we're going to roll with the Tennessee Titans on Monday night to take this game. Tennessee led by Ryan Tannehill and of course that monster in the backfield, Derrick Henry. They're going to come in here and I'm sure that what they're going to do is try to gut Denver's defense. And then their new acquisition, one Javion Clowney should make his appearance on this game on Monday night playing in that Mike Brable defense. So I like Tennessee in this game. And so it should be very interesting week one to see how things go in the NFL. But folks, I know you all have to be smiling because I'm smiling as I'm saying this. The NFL is back. So with that, we're going to say thank you for tuning in to Uptempo Sports. But before we close out this session, I just want to say to Serena Williams, hey, it's that, that struggle to get to that 24 singles grand slam is real. Serena had an opportunity to win that uh, her semifinal game against Victoria Azarenka. Azarenka has never beaten Serena in 10 previous grand slam matches, but she was able to maintain her composure. She had lost the first set. She was able to maintain her composure and win the next two sets. And overcome 
what appeared to be um, a dominant performance early on by Serena Williams. Margaret Court still sits alone with the 24 Grand Slam singles. Serena is right there. And it seems like every year we're saying, is this going to be the year that Serena gets to number 24? And it looked like that Serena was on a course to try to get to the finals. Part of the problem in this in the semifinals match is that it looked like that she had an injury to her ankle. And so that may have slowed her down and taken away some of the momentum as well. But we know and we believe that if Serena can stay healthy, I still believe in my heart of hearts that she is going to get to number 24. It just seems like that that, that 24th victory for her, it keeps eluding her at this particular moment. While we're talking about other sports, let's talk about race car right now. And I forgot to mention Bubba Wallace a few days ago. Just found out that Bubba Wallace will be leaving the Richard Petty number 43 racing team um, sometime towards the end of this year. Now, I'm not sure exactly where he it will be going, but he will be leaving um, and he will not be the driver of the 43 car. We're hoping that the events that occurred this year are not going to be or have not affected Bubba Wallace in a negative fashion that he will that he will not be, still be a part of NASCAR. We need to have his face in NASCAR. We need to have more faces like his if at all possible in NASCAR. Because NASCAR has been one of those sports that has been dominated by white America forever. For the most part. And Bubba Wallace has been so impactful doing all of this social injustice that we've been dealing with. His voice in NASCAR has been a prevalent voice that needed to be heard and his face needed to be seen. So whatever is on Bubba's horizon in the future, we wish him all the best. And I know that Richard Petty and that 43 racing team is going to miss his services. We hope that he is successful in whatever endeavors that he's going to take upon once he leaves the number 43 team. Also want to piggyback about what happened this past Thursday. Something historical happened this past Thursday, and it probably would not have happened had it not been for this global pandemic and the offset of how the schedule of sporting events has occurred. But on Thursday, folks, when we had the opening night of the NFL, we also had the WNBA We had the NBA playoffs, we had MLS, we had Major League Baseball. Folks, we have never had that lineup of sports ever on the same night, on the same platform in sporting history. We've never seen that. We've never seen Major League Baseball, we've never seen the WNBA, the NBA, the NFL, and MLS all lined up and playing at the same time in sporting events on the same night. That, folks, tells us that we are moving in a direction where calmness is coming over this world. We're moving in a direction where we're finally able to take a deep breath and say, hey, sports, the thing that galvanizes us all together is back. And with that, we say, we appreciate you stopping by. We hope you all enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the sporting events that are going to be on display this weekend from the NBA 
to the NFL. And as we always do before we leave you, it's always what? Same bat time, same bat channel. Thank you for tuning in. Peace.